This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. Hey guys, welcome to Awesome Humans. I'm your host, Brett McCallum, and we're trying to bring you the biggest, brightest, and bravest humans we can possibly find off this amazing planet of ours. We're trying to give you some stories to inspire you and showcase the amazing achievements our guests have achieved. Today's Awesome Human is Carly Nimmo. Carly's a voiceover artist, podcaster, podcast teacher, and mentor with over 20 years' experience working with audio. Her very long list of happy clients have included Uber, Telstra, Coles, ANZ, John Holland, Lion, Newcrest. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find a recognisable brand that Carly hasn't worked with over the years. Carly has produced five top iTunes hit shows herself over the past five years and worked with hundreds of podcasters through her podcasting school, Radcasters. I'm pretty excited about this one. It's a long time coming because of border closures and all the COVID stuff, but we said... Let's just do it over Zoom. So this is over Zoom. Carly, I'm so excited to meet you. How are you going? I'm good. Thanks for making me sound so impressive. Was that, that was a good intro? Good. Sometimes, as I said before, sometimes they stuff them up, but I think they did a really good job. That was a real. That was pretty accurate. <laughs> How are you doing anyway, all right? Yeah, good. You're good. all locked up down and, here, um, south of the border. In, stuck south of the border in New South Wales. Where are you based? Uh, Lennox Head. So, oh, one of my no. favourite places on the planet. I yeah, actually have a picture good. in my office good. upstairs of Lennox Head um, looking out through the trees there, a beautiful wave. Yeah, it's just, nice. Oh, it's it is a beautiful nice spot. And the best mm. markets that I've ever been to. The, really? uh, the food markets they have down there, I love Oh, yeah, them. they're pretty good. Although we haven't had any for months and months and months. Oh, yeah, that's what we but miss. But generally, pretty good. It's not good. Hey, the way I love to start these podcasts is by asking the one question – can you? How far back can you go? What's the sort of first memory that you can ever uh, remember? How far back can you go? <laughs> um, my first memory is actually really embarrassing. We love I those was, ones. <laughs> I remember being at preschool, so I must have been four. Yeah. And I went to the toilet and everyone was sitting down having story time. So the teacher was there reading the book and I came out and hadn't pulled my pants up yet. Oops. So everyone turned around and laughed at me. Oh, that's devastating as a child. Yeah, I've needed lots of kinesiology and um, <laughs> and uh, psychotherapy sessions around it that sounds one. Sounds like you're not over it yet, though, Carly. Yeah, not quite. <laughs> Hopefully, I can help with that. I'm not. I'm not yeah, a therapist, yeah. but you never know. As the story goes on, we could get over that. And did they give you a really bad nickname after that? No, no. Thankfully, no. But oh, I mean, they were good. four, so they yeah, probably yeah. just had a laugh and forgot about it. But, but it stayed with what, me, obviously, for forty years. <laughs> there's someone out there that still remembers it. Yeah, I remember Fantastic. when I was in kindergarten and one of the girls, um, I don't even know why I remember this, but she did a very similar thing and I mentioned it to her at a 30-year school reunion and she's turning around, like, how do you even know that? How do you remember that <laughs> stuff? So, yeah, look out. Don't, don't go to school reunions. That's a good idea. Yeah. So where were I you born? To avoid where did it all start? Where did the Carly story start? Oh, well, actually, I guess it was probably wasn't actually that long after um, – I, you know, I, I, I was always an entrepreneurial kid, okay. always. Yeah. So I was one of those kids who would get all my toys and sell them on the front yard to raise money for the Royal Children's Hospital, or I would sell lemons door to door, or I would force my cousins to draw postcards and we'd sell them to the neighbours and, and stuff. And would people buy this stuff? Yeah, people 
Dubai out of pity probably, but yeah. (laughs) So that, and also I was what I would call a double tape deck kid. So I had the double tape deck. My dad would, you know, record me songs off the radio and I would pretend to back announce and record. My friends would be like, oh my God, this is like boring. Why are we always (laughs) recording? (laughs) I thought it was really fun and funny. Um, But yeah, I think they found it rather boring. So so do like voices and stuff or like you pretend you're on the radio? and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, well, that's the weird thing, right? Like, I'm a voiceover artist, but I actually don't do voices. Mm -hmm. Um, I have this voice and that's about it. (laughs) Um, But I love, I've always loved the sound of my own voice. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So you love what you do then? (laughs) Yeah, I do. And it's so funny because um, I had like a kind of mental breakdown, I guess, when I was about just before my 30th birthday and... um, And I was looking for purpose and meaning and trying to find that one thing. But then when I looked and I went back into my childhood and was looking at all the things that I loved and I couldn't see that I was already doing it, you know, which was kind of fascinating. Yeah. Maybe with not as much meaning back then because voiceover work can be kind of dry and a bit um, boring at times. But um, yeah. But yeah, then I became a podcaster and found the meaning in using my voice, which was... And then the yeah, world changed. Yeah. <laughs> so so where did everything start? Where did you grow up? Where were you born? I grew up in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne in the foothills of the Dandenong Ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, so what yeah, hospital Yeah, and I had like... In? What hospital? Box Hill. Box Hill. Okay. So, and is that where yeah. you grew up in, Box Hill? No, I grew up in Kilsyth. Kilsyth. Which is, um, yeah, the, it's probably about 45 minutes out of Melbourne. Uh-huh. Um, it was like the edge of, you know, like the edge of suburbia. So as soon as you went past Kilsyth, you kind of went out into the country. So it was on the very, very on the edge. edge of Melbourne. Okay. Yeah. And you went yeah. to you went to primary school there? Yep, and high school. I moved to Byron. I actually um, I spent until I was about 25 in Melbourne and I yep. worked a career as like I went to, um, what do they call it? Oh, like art school, I guess. It was at that, I went to Deakin Uni. University? And I, yeah, I studied media arts at university. Mm-hmm. So a bit of sound, bit of TV, bit of film, bit of photography. And I found myself working in photographics for a number of years um, and particularly in sales, but I didn't really like it so much. So I moved to Byron in 2003 um, after I met my husband at Splendour in the Grass one night. There so, you go. So... Yeah. Get back as a kid, when you're this entrepreneurial kid, did you have like, did you know what you wanted to be? Like, you know, some kids want to be a policeman or that yeah. sort of stuff. What, what was your thing? Well, that's the thing. I kind of, I spoke, I've spoken to my mum about it because I have two brothers, two younger brothers. One was just born an artist. He, that's like, he came out, he was an amazing he was artist. Born. And he, yeah, and he always has been. Like, he's always just known he's an artist. Um, my other brother is an academic. He's a, he's a professor. Um, he works in, at, at a uni in Albury in ecology. And he always just, he was all, Always an academic, like he could name all the dinosaurs when he was three, and you know he was kind of like a they bit hate of a kids like that genius. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then there was me, and my dad said, you know, I remember asking my dad, you know, what, well, what am I? You know, Grant's the artist, Dale's the the smart one. What am I? And he said, you're the bullshit artist. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you took that so, as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I think he meant communicator. I'm the communicator. <laughs> Maybe. So, so when you left school and then you went to art school, you were living in Melbourne then? 
Yeah, yeah. How was Melbourne? Yeah, that, what's that? How was Melbourne back in those days? I like. I actually really loved Melbourne because I was really into live music. I was, um, you know, really. Uh, uh, yeah, kind of into alternative music and I would go to a lot of music festivals and go to a lot of live gigs. So Melbourne was a really great place to spend, you know, my teenage years and my early 20s. Um, and then when I moved to Byron, I could still access all of that stuff because we had a really good live music scene back then too. So, um, yeah, so so I, I did love living in Melbourne. I think it's a great city, um, but... I'm not really, I don't know, like I'm not really a city person anymore. I much prefer the, the chill of the, you know, of Lennox. <laughs> so what's the, uh, what's the worst job you ever had when you were in Melbourne? Worst job? Yeah. Well, I worked at Coles. I got a job when I was 14 and nine months, which was the legal age. Probably paid about $3.80 an hour. Yeah, it did, $3.84 or something. I think mm. I got an hour. Um, I and well. I worked as a checkout chick and then I worked in the cash office um, which was like, you know, I was a 15-year-old kid handling Doing people's cash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and then I worked, I've had like some random jobs. So I worked in an, a software education place doing like reconciling their accounts. I, um, I worked in a photo lab. I, my background, you know, before I started working solidly in audio was in photographics. So I worked in a lab. I was a sales rep. Um, I worked at Madame Two Swords as a photographer. Oh, that wow. That was a fun job. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, like Coles was probably the worst one. <laughs> <laughs> so you sound like you, you went on a journey through all these different jobs before you then found what you were and, as your dad said, a bullshit artist. No, yeah. but, but, but like as a communicator and were you during that whole time, was that still something you had a passion for? Like yeah. what, where, when did you sort of find the microphone? So I always loved it and I remember going away. I would go away for road trips with girlfriends up and down the coast and we would we would say we would always pretend we were on radio and um, we'd just be driving along in the car and we'd be like, oh, we should have our own radio show. How cool would that be? <laughs> you know, and, and so it had always been there but I didn't know how I would make that happen, you know. Yeah. Um, and photography was just so easy for me and it and I just kind of fell into it and then just climbed the ladder in that industry. And so by the time I was 22 or 23, I was working as a sales rep for um, Ricoh, which was a, a photographic brand. Yeah. They did cameras and... Um, Film. And yeah, and I was the youngest um, female rep in the industry. Wow. And so, you know, as a 23, 24-year-old, I kind of was, you know, I got to 25 and I was like looking around me thinking, oh, like, well, I'm just surrounded by middle-aged men. This is what my future holds, you know? <laughs> and and uh, is this what I want? Like, is this what I want to be doing with my life? I've kind of reached the pinnacle right from here. Maybe I'd go to national sales manager. Do I really want to do that? Yeah. Not really. And so um, when I came up for Splendour, I met with some of um, my now husband's friends who worked in radio at the local radio station in Lismore. And they were like, hey, you know, you, yeah, they just, they, 
well, I don't know that it was that great a work environment, but they, um, you know, they were connected and I'd always, I'd actually gone back to study radio at um, Melbourne Radio School. I did like a short course there for like 10 weeks or something. Um, and the, and the guy who was facilitating was like, there's something here, like you, you could do something in this industry. And I was like, okay, cool. So we cut a demo and I sent it off to the radio station up here and, um, yeah, and they kind of just came back and said, yeah, we'll take you on. So, <laughs> yep. um, yeah, That's so that was great. So I worked as a copywriter yeah. and I did a lot of production. I worked in the newsroom. I did the Arvo shift. I worked on the AM, the FM, like pretty much every area of the station except sales because I was done with sales by that point. I, yeah. I actually hate I hate cold calling. I hate all that stuff. So, um, yeah, so this kind of like it just gave me it was like an apprenticeship into all aspects of broadcasting, which, um, yeah, which I loved. I, I was only in radio for a couple of years. What was your um, Arvo show called? It was just like the drive shift. Oh, yeah, so, so it wasn't I, like the Carly, Dan and Bob show. Yeah, nah, nah, it was just me. No, it was it me there you go, just the Carly show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they used to call me the Carly. rock chick. I was a bit embarrassed about that title, but I did have, at that stage, I had like half of my head was hot pink, so half the hair nice. was hot pink and the top half was black. So awesome. I kind of fit the role of rock chick and I was really into music. That was another thing that, um, you know, I really, my dream was always I wanted to work for Triple J back in the day. Yeah. That was like my my dream job but I in, ended up playing you know um matchbox 20 and <laughs> and shit like that <laughs> um so I didn't last very long and plus the egos in radio can be really big yeah um and it's not the kind of environment where people are really encouraging each other and you know it's like a it's kind of a cutthroat industry so I lasted a couple of years and then also the pay was atrocious I earned really? like $430 a week or something four hundred. dollars Wow but you're a, a superstar radio person in the Yeah, yeah. well that's regional radio for you it, you know it's such a competitive field that they'll just pay you um, you know Nothing. that was minimum wage back then So did you um, ever get your face on the side of a bus like no, but I did show. do McHappy Day. Oh, did you? <laughs> and awesome. I also played. Um, I did McHappy Day, and I also played um, in a celebrity rugby, like rugby rugby league match. So they did the city country thing yeah. in Lismore, and I was a celebrity. It was the most embarrassing, <laughs> most like oh, it was so embarrassing. Anyway, it was me with like Denny Hines, Isabel Lucas, a bunch of footy players. I didn't know who they were, but Miko said yeah. they were pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Um, and oh, Chris Hemsworth. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, and that was and before we he was Thor. <laughs> No, way before. This was home and away days. Um, so he, he wasn't as cool then. Uh, yeah, but like, I yeah, it was just embarrassing. I had I didn't realise how big it was, so I didn't even bother to shave my legs or anything. Actually, what, and I was just, I felt so embarrassed because they were like they were all the famous people had their full makeup on, and you know I just kind of rocked up with yeah, my pink hairy and black hair. And, yeah, it was it was not pretty. Um, and then one, I remember one guy yelling out from the sidelines and I turned around and looked at him and he was like, who are you? And I, I just gave him the double bird and then I was like, oh, my God, I didn't. Ah. Anyway, so, yeah, so that was, that was fun. That's all. That's your big celebrity. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and McHappy Day was equally as awkward because people would pull up and be like, hmm, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Some random woman with pink yeah, hair just yeah. served me a Big Mac. 
<laughs> with pink and black hair, serving Love you a big bag. Well, yeah, what's the deal? She must be famous. Oh, she must be because of the hair. <laughs> so in 2003, you said you met your husband at Splendour. How does anyone yeah. meet anyone at Splendour? <laughs> yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, it probably Thanks, says that's a lot. what I'm here for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why they pay you the big bucks. Um, yeah, so I actually met him through a friend. So I had some friends that uh, one of my girlfriends from school had met a guy up here and she had moved um, like when she was 18 or something, she moved up. And yeah, and so I had come up to spend the weekend with her and some of her friends and some of my friends from Melbourne came up with me. My brother came. And, yeah, and so he was he was actually best friends with my friend's now husband. So oh, it nice. was kind of like a weird incestual thing. And then the girlfriend who I came up with from Melbourne with, she hooked up with one of their other friends and we all ended up getting married. They're divorced now. But, um, so yeah, so it was... The group of mates. So the group of mates. Yeah, yeah, it was... Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But it was like he, he is not very good with women, my husband. So he just like I remember and I'm, I'm not very good with men either. So but I remember match. like hip and shouldering him like that was my version of flirting. <laughs> How you going? So, Knocked him over. Yeah, exactly. So, you learned that yeah. in a rugby game, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you know I'm a celebrity? No, the hip and shoulder came league. first. I learned that from my AFL career <laughs> down in Melbourne. <laughs> oh, I love it. So when did you realise that voiceover artistry was a, like a career that you could do? Because obviously you're on the radio and stuff and then oh, I've had enough of that shit. I'm not getting paid enough money. When did yeah. you realise you could actually make money from doing this? Well, the interesting thing was I started I started my voiceover agency, which is called Killer Copy. I started it as um, as a actually as a copywriting business because I had done I had done a course in um, copywriting for radio, and I thought oh, I'll start this business writing radio ads, and maybe I'll just put buy a mic so I can produce them as well if they want. And I had thought what I would create would be like an agency for those small regional radio stations to outsource their ad production. Yeah, nice. So they didn't have to put on a copywriter or have, you know, use all the talent. They could have access to a different talent pool and, you know, and they wouldn't have to pay a, um, you know, a wage, even though it was pathetic, um, to, to keep someone on full time. And it didn't really fly. I actually got two copywriting jobs. Both of them were for brothel on hold systems. Nice. So and did you have to produce it? No, they they were like they one was like a James Bond theme, and they did ask if I would voice it, and then I was just kind of like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do a voiceover <laughs> uh, for a brothel, but it couldn't be, it might not be the best start to my career. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so the. the, website, the yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, the voiceover stuff um, just. I kind of just thought, oh, I'll just see what else is out there. So I signed up for a couple of sites. Back then there was Voices.com and Voice123, which were sites where you could, you know, audition and and kind of send through a sample. And I kind of contacted everyone I thought that might need a voice and picked up a few clients that way. I was running a, a um, photographic store during the day and kind of doing this at night. So, yeah, and but it wasn't until... I could go 100% in on the voiceover stuff that it really started to take off. Um, yeah, so it, I started to, I, I think I just thought, oh, you know, initially I thought, oh, it'd be fun to have a little mic and maybe do some voiceover recording stuff and see where that goes. And the more 
Um, the more I did it, I, d- I just found it caught to be quite easy work, enjoyable. The more I did it, the better I got. Um, and my clients really loved me. And so they started to ask me, Hey, do you know a guy? Do you know any other female voices that we could use? And I thought, you know, I've spent so long building these relationships. It'd be a shame just to pass it on. So I ended up becoming a bit of an agent and I gathered people that I'd met through radio or connections of connections. And, um, yeah, and started build, building a bit of a talent pool and now 17 years later or whatever it is, 15 years later, um, yeah, it's still going. That's awesome. So how many people yeah. you got under under sort of management, if you like? Um, there's about 20 voices. We specialise. I'm looking to expand at the moment but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a business that just kind of ticks along. I've never done anything to grow it. I've never done anything to promote it really. I've tried the odd like... Google ads, SEO stuff um, didn't really do much for me, but um, because most of it's from word of mouth. So my business has grown completely organically because these clients, they'll go in to do like a... um, a contract with like John Holland, for example, Mm -hmm. and they'll go there, do the contract for that particular project, and then they'll move on to another company. And when they move on to another company and they get a project that they think we'd be suitable for, then they'll get in touch from that company. And so, so I've kind of just spread, you know, I remember one, like, you know, I had a friend that I used to work with who started working doing um, e-learning because that's what we specialize in. And, um, and so he introduced me to someone. I worked for him at like ANZ and then he went to Coles and took me to Coles and then he went to John Holland and took me to John Holland. And as we've gone along, all of those clients have stayed with me. That's awesome. So it's kind of been, um, yeah, just like a really organic thing. But it's one of those, like it doesn't actually, I have it really set up well with systems and all that kind of jazz. Um so it leaves a lot of spare time, which, which has been a blessing and a bit of a curse. <laughs> <laughs> so when you went to Coles for the first time as a, with them as a client, did you tell them you used to work there? No. <laughs> <laughs> no I I that now we've just moved all our banking to NAB. And when I went yeah. to the branch, the woman goes, so have you been with us long? I said, I used to work for you 30 years ago. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what's the weirdest thing is like when when I'll pick up the phone or or even worse, like I've, I've managed to get on top of my cash flow shit these days, but like in the old days, Optus would ring me and they'd be like, hey, uh, you know, like um, your phone bill is overdue or whatever. And it would be me like speaking to <laughs> me. your voice. <laughs> which is a bit awkward. <laughs> when I used to go to Rabina. <laughs> yeah, I used to go to Rabina shopping centre, and they have that. They have one of those shops that has like lots of knives and stuff, and lots of like gimmicky, you know, like cooking shit. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I'd walk past, and they had like a sushi video, Sushizi, which was a voiceover I did like back in God 2006 or something like that, and, and still it's playing. still playing at the shop in Rabina. Yeah, oh, so those it. kind I of things are a bit awkward. <laughs> No, well, they, they, I like we don't do sunset clauses or anything like that. So they buy it, they have it. In fact, like my voice was still on the radio station that I worked with, which was seventeen oh, really? years ago. So yeah, there you, go. you didn't negotiate that very well, did you? No, that little four-year-old entrepreneur be kicking you in the butt now. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> so what did uh, mum and dad do? Because obviously they've got an artist, they've got a, uh, a an academic, and you're an artist just in a different form. 
Yeah, the bullshit guy. <laughs> um, so my dad, my dad was entrepreneurial. So yeah. he was a when I was a child, he was a cleaner. So he used to run his own cleaning business doing windows. He used to clean the local wildlife sanctuary. That was one of his jobs. And then he went um, into like management. So he worked as a plant manager for a big industrial laundry. And that was really what he um, did until he retired. Mm -hmm. And my mum she was she was a mum. So, you know, back in the 80s, she was just the, not just, but she was the <laughs> the quintessential Aussie mum staying at home, making us toasted sandwiches and coming at lunch and popping them in our lunchbox so they were warm. Um, yeah, we lived next door to the school. Though. What's that? They wrapped them in alfoil. Remember that? Yeah, wrapped them in alfoil. The, the so they stayed warm. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's what she did. And we lived next door, so we used to run down like and stand at the fence and scream out, Mom, Mom, and she'd come out. I was quite popular because she would come out and give us all zooper dupers. I oh, love it. So Look at everybody you go picking up friends friend. from living next door to school. I love <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> totally. So she, yeah, so she stayed at home for most of my childhood. She worked, she had a few little jobs. She worked at a bingo centre. Um, you know, she uh, ended up working at an RSL, did a bit of reception stuff, um, but, yeah, but was basically the quintessential 80s mum. So being a voiceover artist, you'd be a great bingo caller. Yeah, I would. Hey, have you ever thought about that? <laughs> Lennox head RSL. I you would can be sit a there good and go and be the caller. bingo caller. <laughs> yeah. I've done like I've emceed nights and stuff yeah, back in like my that? radio days. Um, yeah, but I've, I've never, I don't know if would if the pay rate would be that great for bingo, but. <laughs> in the bingo, you could start a new market as part of your agency. You could have bingo callers <laughs> yeah. all around the country, bingo all professionally callers. trained. <laughs> so when did you find podcasting? Because obviously well, you've got some spare time on your hands because your business mm. is so tuned, which is what I love. I love that you've got processes and things in place to actually make it so it all works really nicely. That gives you free time. So yeah, totally. And I'm all podcast? about free time. Yeah, me too. Um, I love to – I love chilling. Yeah. It's like, you know, I love ta- – my day basically starts with me dropping the kid off school and I always take a walk on the beach for an hour before I come home. Love and it. it means that I only work 11 till 3 work days, if that. Um, You're making but- everybody jealous now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I need it for my mental health. Like yeah, for I, sure. you know, I'm just someone who um, I just really value chill time. So I prioritize um, making sure that everything works in a way that allows me to have the free time. And I make sacrifices for that too. You know, I could have probably been um, a multimillionaire if I was willing to do an 80-hour week, but I'm just not. It's just it's not in me to do that. I have no desire. It doesn't. That's not my idea of success. So, um, yeah, so what was the question? I oh, that's all right. I keep going. This is great. <laughs> I, I also I love learning about people. Right? One of the things is that you start to feel like the vibe of people and all that. And I just love you've got this great energy that is just sort of chilled. And it's like Thanks. if if anyone's ever been to Lennox Head, it's just chilled. Yeah, it's pretty chill. Like it, it's really, really <laughs> well, cool. Well, some of the locals are a bit angry that, you know, all of these blow-ins are taking over their town. And, of course, you know, but, yeah. Cause... <laughs> but generally, <laughs> generally I'm pretty chill. But I think that's because I have so much, you know, I am a highly anxious person actually and I come from a long legacy of anxiety. Oh, wow. Um, and so, so for me, the systems and all that shit that I put in place, 
place so that I can have free time are also there so that I'm not lying in bed awake at 2am with my mind ticking over of all the things I haven't done. Um, I don't thrive in chaos. So, um, yeah, so I'd like to, it's not that I'm, I guess I am a control freak in some respects, um, but I do love to have, I just love to know that things are working and I, you know, if they're not, then it's really stressful for me. So, And is that in business or is that in every everyday life? No, in business. I'm pretty free float. <clears throat> I mean, I like to have, I, I, I don't also do well in like, you know, play in air where there's a lot of sensory stuff. So okay. if the house is really, really messy, um, I start to feel anxious. So, okay. yeah, so basically it's just there to help with my mental health, really. Well, that's, but that's the most important sure that thing. Chill. That's the thing people don't understand. Your mental yeah. health is so much more important than anything else. Absolutely. And I think when you've experienced a couple of breakdowns over the years, then you really do appreciate and, you know, hopefully learn from those experiences so that we can put stuff in place to help us you know, because life throws a lot of shit our way and it certainly has me. I had a business in Byron, in a co-working space in 2012 that I started um, because I really wanted to have a community around me and yeah. I was working by myself and I was lonely. And um, so I started this co-working space, sunk $100,000 into it and it was closed within a year. And, you know, and it was a really very stressful and painful experience for me. Um, and so, you know, li life has thrown a lot of shit my way and it has given me a lot of opportunity to have mental breakdowns. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so so from that I, I learn and I put things in place so that, you know, the, the co-working space was a really big lesson and a wonderful one that, uh, you know, people invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in coaches and all that kind of shit. I, I tend to invest it in my own experience and learn yeah, from that. Yeah, I do that. the same. Yeah. And so what, why did you open a co-working? Just because you thought it was good or was that the entrepreneurial brain well, kicking in? Well, I think I've always I've always been looking for like the thing, you yeah. know, like I was always looking for the thing and it, it didn't necessarily feel like it was voiceover work. Um, I wanted to have something that, you know, I wanted to create something, a bit of a legacy. I wanted to create something that meant something and had purpose and meaning. And at the time I was just really lonely. You know, in 20, 2012, when I started it, I didn't have a lot of entrepreneurial friends. So I wanted to have a community of people around me who got it, yeah. what it was like and the pressure and the, you know, and the stress that can come along oh, with yeah. working for yourself. Um, and so, yeah, so I started it really to fulfill a need within me that wasn't being met, which was community. I wanted a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. Um and so, yeah, so I didn't, I did nothing. Like I literally was like, I had this idea, I had this vision of me working alongside other people. And I was like, wow, this could be a thing. And in 2012, there was like, fuck all co-working spaces yeah. around in Australia. And there was none regionally. Um, and so... And so, I, you know, and I looked at the stats briefly where I saw that there were 8,000 residents in Byron and 8,000 registered businesses. And I thought, well, if there's that many businesses... Surely I can fill a space. Yeah. Um, only problem was that nobody knew what co-working was. Yeah. <laughs> so I basically spent the year educating people as to what co-working was and why and how it would work for them. And then I ran out of money. So... So how did it At fail? The time, was it cash? <clears throat> yeah, so I started it with a business partner. Um, she's a wonderful human, but wasn't really in, wasn't really entrepreneurial. Also, um, 
didn't really know her financial circumstances. So so there so there was that kind of going on and then some really hectic stuff happened her personally for her and I just couldn't keep her on like it was breaking her and so um I let her out of the partnership and all of a sudden 100% of the outgoings were on me and I had put up the capital to start with anyway so um but basically everything that I was making from my voiceover agency was being funneled into this um, co-working space. So there was nothing left. But on top of that, my husband at the time, he was working on the roads and it, we had like an El Nino or I can't remember which one it is, but yeah, one, one of the, the wet ones. it just rained and rained and rained for six months. So he couldn't work. Um, so, and on top of that, we had a house that we'd bought on the mid North coast in Nambucca heads, which we bought in 2009 at like the top of the market, just, or 2008, it was just about to crash and it never recovered. So we had this house down there that was worth less than we'd bought it for. We couldn't live in it because we didn't really love it down there. And my whole business and everything was up here. Um, and you know, and there were no tenants in it. So it was just like, it was like just a total clusterfuck really over time and it's like who did I run over to what did I do to deserve this like yeah yeah I understand and I cried every day for like six months I actually considered taking my own life there was a Mm. moment where um one day the tax office rang me to um to chase 16 grand that I owed them from a bus and uh and I didn't have it and I I just was like, oh, my God, I cannot see any way out of this. I'm locked into a commercial lease for three years. You know, it's a 1000 bucks a week. How, how, how am I going to do this? I have no idea. And it was just like, yeah, I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe the world would be better off without me. So, like, that was a pretty low pretty point. Pretty low, low and, point to get to. Yeah. And, like, all just over a business, you know. Mm. But you're so when, – when you're in those kind of situations where, like, your options are bankruptcy or what, like, really didn't know what what my options were. And I just couldn't see any way out. Um, and that seemed like a good option at the time. But thankfully I got off the phone to the um, ATO and a friend of mine who was a life coach in training, I feel sorry, sorry for her, she <laughs> she had offered me some free sessions and I got on and I was just like a snotty, couldn't, you know, <laughs> mess. Um, and she just showed me this picture of, she go, you know, she tried a whole bunch of stuff and I was just like, oh, my God. And then she showed me this picture of above and below the line. So it's basically an image that has like the line and then above it you've got like love, below it you've got fear, above it you've got hero below victim um you know abundance lack etc etc and she was like where do you think you are on the line can you identify where you are and I was like I'm not even below the line I'm like flatlined below I've the dug line. a hole and I'm flatlined yeah exactly yeah and so I, I I hung up from that call and I drew that picture on my one whole wall of my office yeah. and I just sat there and I was like okay ha- like if I'm below the line, how can I get above it? Like, what's the most pain right now? Lack. Okay, so how can I bring in some abundance? And I just started tracking the money that was coming in and, you know, and then eventually it shifted and I managed to figure out that I could get someone to sublet. So I spoke to the landlords and they were like, yeah, cool. Um, You know, they wouldn't let me out of the lease, but they would happily, you know, let someone sublet. So yeah. I did that for the remaining two years and and then, you know, now we're like, what is it, like eight years on and, yeah, and I'm 
Yeah, totally. I've just actually bought a new computer. So that is like the last of the old stuff. That's awesome. It's good when you get rid of that last little bit, isn't it? Yeah. It feels like Sarah. Like- I got my, after, I got all my like seven years tax office stuff and I rang my account. I said, can I burn it now? And he was like, yeah, you can burn it. <laughs> <laughs> We call it a financial flatline, but the good thing about a flatline is it always, if you kick it hard enough, it actually then starts to beep again. And Yeah, totally. Uh, we've all been there, and it's, yeah. uh, as entrepreneurs, that's stupidly, that's what we just continue to do, isn't oh it? My God, it's like I know. We, we well, keep we going. But if it wasn't for people like you in the world, then um, there wouldn't be business. There wouldn't be small business. There wouldn't be people that now know about co working spaces. There wouldn't yeah. be people that get. Well, now to, there's like half a dozen co working spaces in Byron. That's I unbelievable. I know it's totally crazy. You're only eight years too early. Yeah, well, yeah, that was that was that was one of the shorter (laughs) ones. So during this time, did you have someone that you could talk to, or did you keep it all in? No. I, 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 well, actually, I had joined. So, so I had joined. Marie Folio's B school back in 2012, as I thought she was going to be like my savior. Um, so Marie Folio has an online business course and it's, uh, you know, about 2000 US dollars to do it. She has a huge community mm-hmm. attached to that. Um, and so I joined, I don't even know like what, what I was thinking, but I was, I basically was thinking Marie Folio is my savior. She is going to save this business and save me. Um, of course she didn't, but the community, uh, was really, a saving grace for me. So I joined, um, I'd always been like, when I moved to Nambucca, which was um, on the mid-north coast, when we bought beautiful our house spot. down there. What's up? It's a beautiful spot, Nambucca. Oh, it's beautiful, beautiful spot. I couldn't spot. live there. I'd stab yeah. myself in the eye with a fork if I lived right. there. Right, right. I'm hearing now. Yeah, it's, it is beautiful. <laughs> and I thought the beauty would be enough to carry me through, but no, no. definitely was not. Um, and I started blogging when I'd moved there in 2009 um, as a way to, uh, you know, try and connect outside of myself. I knew no one, didn't have any kids, so didn't have like school drop off or anything. Um, and Nambucca, you know, there wasn't a lot of entrepreneurial people there. So I really was very, felt very, very alone. And I started my blog, Carlosophies, which at the time was just kind of me, uh, you know, sharing pretty awkward stories of like having a poo in the dunes during a run or like it was random <laughs> stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't very evolved and spiritual like it is now. Um, but you know, but it was, it was a fun outlet of expression and that actually led me to start running on the beach. Um, I was really into fitness and I would run on the beach. It was part of my mental health stuff. Um, you know, it helped me to stay on top mentally. So I would run on the beach with a video camera, but this was before phone day. So it was like a hand cam. camcorder and I would record myself like just recording a few sentences or you know a couple of minutes when I found clarity because things were just so mucky and murky in my mind and I would go to the beach and run and then it would be like you know like the angels would sing and, and I'd have this clarity and then I'd come back to write my blog and it, it, all the profound shit was gone, you know? So I started running with a video camera and that's really the um, earliest, you know, the, the, the start of my podcasting career really was that. Um, and I can't remember what you were asking me though. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we're on another tangent talking. there. It's all about um, you. 
Yeah, so I would run videotaping myself and I'd put them on YouTube. This was about 2009, 2010. Um, and then I had an online magazine, Think Beautiful, which was like a spiritual blog kind of thing. With and like did you have much of a following and... back then? How are you, how are you um, getting followers? I, I did that for about a year. And, yeah, I did have a bit of a following. Like in that in that year I probably... I think I had a couple of thousand Facebook followers yeah. on my page and, um, yeah, it was quite a good thing. I would run workshops like helping people, um, you know, vision board workshops and helping people, you know, like identify their beliefs and mindset stuff. So I did all that kind of stuff back then and that was all bringing more purpose and meaning, you know, like yeah. I felt like, um, yeah, it was bringing me more purpose and meaning and then eventually um, you know, once I connected into the B-School community and, uh, you know, fast forward back to being back in Byron and, um, you know, yeah, like having closed the co-working space and having another kind of mental break, um, the, like, it, it kind of just became obvious to me that, yeah, like I really would like to start podcasting. It had been in the back of my mind for years as a broadcaster. I was like, oh, you know, yeah, I could I could always have that radio show that I wanted to have. Yeah, you could do it. I don't have to play Matchbox Twenty. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, but I didn't really know how. And so, um, yeah. So at the time when I closed my co-working space, I actually fell pregnant, which was a big surprise. And um, the weekend actually that I found someone to sublet, we went away for the weekend, and I fell pregnant. So that was um, (laughs) that was celebration. That one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was celebrating a bit too hard. Um, And so and so then you know and then like the first year of motherhood was like oh my god, so hard for me. And that was when the podcast started because again I'd found myself in this like insular place where, you know, motherhood, anxiety, licking the wounds from my failure. Um, and I, and I really just wanted to have another outlet of expression. So philosophy started there, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And what was your, what was your philosophy behind philosophy? I'd like to see what I did there. That was yeah. pretty clever. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, that thanks. Really I'll just good. talk myself I up. like the segue kind of <laughs> thing you got going on there. <laughs> but what, did, uh, what, what was the sort of purpose? Was it for you or was it for others? Yeah. It was, it was mostly for me, but it was also what I had recognised was, you know, this was like 2013 and there was lots of shiny, shiny online entrepreneurs. This was like the real, this is when like the online entrepreneur, online business thing really started to kick up a notch, you know, yep. and we had like all, it was when, yeah, all the beautiful people started having successful online businesses, just packaging what they know into a course and voila, you know, yeah. um, and I was like, where's all the stories of failure? Like, why aren't people talking about cash flow issues? And why aren't they, why are they talking about that time that, you know, they, they considered taking their own life because business got so fucking hard? Yeah, you know, I knew, I knew those stories were out there, but they weren't being told. And I wanted to tell them. But I also wanted to walk on the beach and do what I had done, reconnect to myself and yeah. tell my own story and what I share what I was going through. Um, so I, I had two formats of the show. One was an interview that was called, um, well, it was called Carlosophies, but stories behind success. And I would talk to, you know, at this point through B-School and through connecting through my co-working space with other communities, I had built a real good network of people. And I just really wanted to have conversations, just chatting to them about yeah, like what was their story behind success? Because it wasn't the overnight thing I was seeing. That's the 10 year Um, overnight success. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mine was 40-something Yeah, mine too, mine anyway. 47, <laughs> but let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, I could get all bitter about it, but um, <laughs> but I won't. So, yeah, so I, so I just wanted to have those conversations. And obviously it hit for once in my life, I actually hit the market at the right time. And, um, and it kind of, it got picked up by Apple and I was in New and Noteworthy and featured. And, um, and so it was like, it was kind of a big deal back then. Um, and yeah, and, and for me, it was the first, not the first taste of success, but a really needed taste of success after my experience with the co-working space. So Eventually, now I'm five and a half, five and a bit years in. I'm nearly at 300 episodes. Wow, congratulations. yeah, and it's it's totally transformed. So now it's just me uh, walking on the beach. My audience, you know, the interviews were really hard um, for me. I've, I'm not necessarily a great oh, – it's not that I'm not a great interviewer. It, I just feel a lot of pressure being, yeah. interviewing people, like there's something I have to deliver. And my audience started to tell me – I also got sick of telling the same story over and over again. So what I was noticing was like, you know, I – primarily spoke to women, only two men throughout the the time. It's a bit sexist, Um, but we won't go there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, and so, and what I noticed was just this same old story about burnout and, you know, all this kind of shit. And I kind of got a bit over it. So, and my audience also were like, we just want to hear you. We don't want to hear other people's stories. We'd rather hear your story. And so, yeah, and so um, so over the last five years I've shared like, oh, my God, so much. There's been times where I was hooked up to an ECG because I had so much cash flow issues. I was like so stressed I thought I was having a heart attack and I was actually just anxiety from, you know, no cash. In the, were you, were you know, podcasting like just... with an ECG on, though? No, no, I, oh, should, I right could have. I could have, although I might have interfered. Really cool. I don't know how that would work. <laughs> In the background. (laughs) Yeah, coming live from the ECG. Coming live from the doctor's (laughs) surgery on a Friday afternoon because I think I'm dying. (laughs) But the thing is, people want to see transparency. They want to see openness. They want to see honesty. If they want to see a Kardashian type thing, and good on them, they're billionaires, good luck to them. But if they want to see that, there's millions of that out there. But there's no one, or there's not many people out there that actually tell the truth. Right. And if people tell the truth, they're either bashed down because, oh, why are you like that person? Um, because I'm just telling you fucking how it is. It's that simple. Like this yeah, is totally. my opinion. My opinion matters to me and that's all that matters to me. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, if other people want to hear it, even better. That's it. And I think like for me, it's my podcast has always been first and foremost for me. Yeah. It's a tool of expression and it, it also is a, a mental health practice for me. I 100%. created... Um, a podcast called Make Some Noise where I explored over 25, 26 eps, the links between depression and anxiety or mental health challenges, self-expression and creativity. And it's undeniable. There's like a connection there, you know, self-expression in any way, whether it's our voice or, um, you know, cooking or gardening, whatever our form of expression is, it's vitally important for our mental health. And not enough of us give us permission just to do something because we love it. You know, we have to justify the reasons why we have to monetize fucking everything. Yeah. Um, you know, and and we can it's okay for us to have something that just feels good for us and is fun. And everyone needs it. Like we, we've got another podcast we do called The Third Beer and it's me and my psychologist that we interview someone, we talk about shit blokes don't talk about. That's a really sexist podcast, just blokes. 
But no, we do have women. No, but also too. very needed because 100%, like. 100%. Because we, we literally know. have a beer like, and we talk about the beer and then we talk about shit like anxiety, depression, suicide, all those sort of things. And to me, it's actually is my psychology session for the week because I sit here with my psychologist and um, and also with a guest and we just open frank, honest conversation. And it's like the stuff I've said on that podcast that my wife would hate that I've said that to the world. But at the same time, <laughs> it's just that's the way it is. That's honesty. And, and that's what people really want to listen to. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and, and, and that's what I'm here for. I've always been someone who's told it how it is and, um, you know, and sometimes it's gotten me into trouble. But I don't know, like that, <laughs> we, there times, has though. to be... Yeah, there has to. We have to have antagonizers in in the world. You know, we have to get people. We have to have people who shake us up and and make us think. Um, yeah, I think it's doubt. really important. Without doubt, but at the same time, the way I look at it is that. We talk shit on the end of a microphone and we, we whether it's to you, whether it's to a guest, whether it's on our own, if that helps one person right. or saves one person from doing that bad thing that we've all thought about because we're in such a hole, then my job's done. Yeah, totally. Me <laughs> and, too. And the thing is if we can help one one person, whether they're young, old, whatever, that um, that's all we're doing this for. Yeah, 100%. And, and from that perspective, like – this is something that I talk to a lot of because, you know, I work with podcasters and I work primarily with women um, who, you know, want to get a show out there. And, you know, and part of part of their thing is like, oh, I don't know if I could just tell my own story. It's like it's really self-indulgent. And and I think to myself, hang on a second, you're working with me. right? <laughs> have you not listened to 300 episodes? Yeah, yeah. Have you heard my show? <laughs> have you met me? Um, but also like, you, you know, the th- I think the thing is when we are focused on sometimes when we're focused on us, it's actually the greatest service that we can we can bring. And Indeed. everything as I do is deeply in service. Uh, you know, when when I am my, you know, for less of a le- less wanky turn, when I am my full, you know, authentic self, then that's what builds connection with people, um, and and that's and and my truth yeah. helps free other people. So you know, of course, of course, like it, I actually think it's more self indulgent to tell yourself that your story is self indulgent, you know, because because like yeah, if you if you can get that out of the way. And you really can impact people. Oh, 100%. But you have to be willing to take a risk, you know. 100%. There's, there's, there's a few – I don't read much, but there's a few books in my life that changed my life and uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was the first one. And uh, I actually wrote a book and, and that sort of changed – this the journey of that changed a bit. But the book The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson is so good in the fact that when someone reads it, it changes your whole mindset because literally it's all about you mm-hmm. and the fact that you've only got one bucket of fucks to give in your whole life. You've already given halfway and you don't even realise it. So there's only a few left. So you're really conscious then about actually what if I spend my time doing that or I want to walk on the beach an hour a day. I'd love to do that. I was saying yeah. to my wife last night, let's go and buy an acreage. I want to go and uh, and live and, and sort of have a barn that I can just go out and do shit. And she's like, you can't do anything with land. I said, that's not the point. I just want those sort of things is because that's about me and that's what I want. And the self-indulgence side of thing I think is really, really important because there's some other bloke that hasn't read that book that's still sitting there going to work every day hating life mm, and yeah. then they also want to go and get a barn. 
You know what I mean? Like, and and if that can open them up to actually do that, then you're doing a great service to the world, I reckon. Yeah, totally. Me too. And you know, and and now it's interesting because that I think that's the the thing. For so long, I was looking for that purpose. You know, that thing that was going to propel me to Oprah or whatever. Yeah. Um, but now I realise it's not necessarily about me. Like I actually am not available to be Oprah. Like I, could I couldn't see you with a perm. Works. That'd be the problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's all. You've had the, the pink and black hair, but just not the perm. Yeah, but I haven't. I'm now grey. Oh, that's I'm, all right. I'm fashionably grey. We like to call so. it platinum. Yeah, platinum. Platinum is that what much better it? than grey. Yeah, it's more sterling silver, but. <laughs> <laughs> So what's Radcasters? Is that your that's so, your podcast school? What's a podcast school? Yeah, so um, so when I started Carlosophies and I'd had all that success and people kind of knew, um, you know, that I was podcasting, and they knew and and they'd listened to my show, so they knew the production value was pretty good, um, and so they started coming to me and asking me if I could teach them. And so I was like, well, you know, I've got this baby and, you know, not not enough time and also <laughs> I don't have the inclination to like, you know, I don't know, bleh, nah. So, um, so I ended up creating this online course which was called Radcasters and it went through all everything, you know, all of the things that I've learned from um, and it's, it's evolved over the years. I've kind of walked away from that business and back into it. Um, it kind of is one of those things that just sits there and eventually I feel called to dive into the podcasting space again and um, but essentially it's just like an online course but there's a good community around it so I've had I've probably worked with about I would say around 300 podcasters over awesome. the last five years yeah and just like you know, helping them really, really just giving them permission to use their voice in a way that feels good for them. Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the crux of what it's about. But all the, all the tech stuff is there. People think they're struggling with the tech and, you know, and, and, <laughs> and then I get on a call with them because I do do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work too. I really love that element yeah. of like getting into why someone's procrastinating. Um, and usually it's because they feel like an imposter or, you know, that there's more to it than the tech. It's never the tech, the tech, the tech we can, you know, work out. It's all the other stories that we've got about, um, going on about like what, yeah, what it would mean. Um, mm. what if so, I actually yeah, said so something I, someone doesn't agree with? What's that? It's like, what if I said something that someone doesn't yeah, right. agree with? Or Backlash. I mean, I tell it's you a real something thing. that no one else knew. Oh my god! Yeah. Those so yeah, so they so from that perspective, and you know, there's nothing new to say. What you know? Why would anyone want to listen to what I have to say and all this kind of shit? Um, but yeah, so so that course is it goes through the tech stuff, but it also goes through some of the emotional stuff that comes up because I find that most podcasters go live and then they lose their voice in a couple of weeks. Oh, 100%. It's the most bizarre thing. You, you um, it's like they finally episodes. find their voice and then it's taken away from them. Do you really want to do you really want to be using your voice? You know? And normally it's because one person listened to it and said, "Oh, well, that's a bit shit." Or mm. what did you do that for? As opposed yeah, to the yeah. other 300 that listened and well, that was really cool. Yeah. And we have a real gift negative. for negative bias, don't we? Where it's Yeah, like, 100%. But that's yeah. that's the world we live in. 
Yeah, 100%. And, you know, like, and, and legitimate concerns because, you know, you, you have a look at those people who have a lot of external success and are recognisable and, you know, have an opinion and they're often vilified for that. And, um, yeah, and so so it's legit. There's trolls out there and I've seen, I've had, I've had friends whose businesses they've had to close their Facebook page because, you know, there's some weird group is, you know, as a, as a naturopath, they've like, they're attacked, being attacked by some weird group, you know, and, you know, and, and that shit can happen. So yeah, it is a legitimate fear, but it's, you know, it's not something that, um, yeah, it's not, yeah. Like say trying to save yourself from that. Like you might as well just have a crack and see Go what harder, and deal with it when it does. Yeah. So one sure. of the things you said when we first started the podcast was about kinesiology. Oh, yeah. Um, I love natural therapies. Like my wife's a natural therapist and uh, and kinesiology and those sort of things um, really interest me just because it doesn't make sense but it makes so much sense, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. But the thing is, and you tell someone about that and they go, oh, what, what, who, what? Oh, that can't work because the scientist or my doctor didn't tell me that. Whereas like all these people are getting better and doing all this sort of stuff and then someone like Pete Evans comes out with an opinion mm. and Paleo Pete's now um, a COVID hater and all this sort of shit that comes out. Living where you live, obviously mm. in that part of the world down at Lennox and Byron and all those sort of places is well known for this, for, for a lot more natural type stuff and a lot more chilled out people. What, um, tell me about that. How did, how did that happen? A girl from Melbourne, was it something that you always sort of yeah. went to? I think I, I've always been a bit, um, I've always been a bit quirky. I've always been a little bit left of centre. Mm-hmm. So, and like what, and the thing is, if I'm honest, yeah. that was not at all part of the attraction of Byron. The attraction of Byron was like, I was 25, party girl, like massive party girl. <laughs> so Byron was appealing because it was a party central, you yeah. know, like there was a big party scene here and it wasn't ayahuasca and all that shit that it is today. You know, it was, yeah, yeah. It was the, it was the, the more, um, you know, chemical fun <laughs> back in those <laughs> days. Um, and yeah. And so, so that was what attracted me to Byron was that, that it was full of people who were just, uh, yeah, like, I don't know, having fun. Good times. And I wanted a piece of that, yeah. So, but it's actually been interesting because, um, you know, these days, I mean, I've, I, and I've also, you know, I've also been into, you know, we don't have, um, I don't really have that much chemical stuff in my house. I, I tend to use natural products and, yeah. um, you know, and all that kind of jazz. So I am a bit, I'm a bit crunchy in that respect. Like I am a bit of a hippie. Um, but I'm also, you know, my, my husband will take my daughter through the Macca's drive through and shit like that. So I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not full, you know, not just fully to spite you or just because like it's, uh, that's just the way it is. Well, I just think I just think dogma in any sense is not really that healthy, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, so for for me, um, yeah, any and like also, I'm I'm very into human design. That's something that I'm like really passionate about. So, um, and you know, and it's quite a complicated system. But and again, like not into dogma. So, um, human design is like kind of like a, a mixture of personality te- types, tests, and astrology, and um, and I found it really fascinating. Anyway, it, part of my human design means that I am 
I can never really be certain of anything. So when, when all these theories kind of come across my desk or, you know, like through my feed or, um, through the conversations that I have with school mums or whatever it is, uh, I, I can never really buy fully into something so much that it's like a, you know, like, uh, this is the way it is. I'm going to be like, you know, celery juice every morning. Like I'm yeah. not really into that kind of shit. Um, I believe more in balance and, you know, and, you know, some, and it's always been that way. Like I was always someone who would eat healthy during the week and then on the weekend just blow it up. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so for me, it's, it's actually, that's been a hard thing to reconcile is, um, you know, cause I always have been a little bit different and even here living in Byron, I'm still a little bit different. Yeah. But it's good to be different. Yeah. And when you realise that, it makes such a difference in your life, doesn't yeah. it? When you actually sit there and go, oh, fuck, that's actually nothing wrong with me being different. Totally, yeah. That's and I think a- that's that's why I love human design so much is because it's just shown me, like, yeah, I'm different and and it's given me more permission to just own those weird things about me. Um, that, <laughs> it's great yeah, to be weird. Oh, I'm weird. I yeah. love it. Me too. It makes life a lot more interesting when you're surrounded by weirdos. <laughs> oh, indeed, indeed. So what does your uh, your daughter think you do? Yeah. <laughs> she she knows that I do stuff with microphones. <laughs> she actually asked me, she's asked me a few times, Mum, are you famous? <laughs> and I'm like, not really, because I've, I've had... <laughs> I've actually, had, darling, um, I played rugby league with Chris Hemsworth. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah. I am famous. <laughs> Classic, yeah. Uh, not, but not really. No, <laughs> he doesn't really, know who no. I am. <laughs> We're not on first term. Although he is a family friend. Oh, there so, we go. We're reaching now. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so um, my cousins are good friends with him, and my one on my other side of my family, my um, auntie and uncle are good friends with his parents. So you know, you know. So I guess maybe I. We're nearly related <laughs> by association. <laughs> So what no, did he's you like tell my your 83rd co- removed cousin. Oh, of course, or yeah. <laughs> so what did you tell your daughter when she asked if you were famous? I was like, oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not famous. Um, because, like, we've had situations where, you know, I've been at the school, you know, or like having drinks at the bolo or something on a Friday and um, – and it's quite funny because, like, uh, like uh, there, you know, I'm recognised in in a tiny little bubble yeah. of people who listen to my podcast. So I remember actually uh, we were having like drinks one Friday night before Christmas, and um, and I was and I was just at having drinks with my bod squad crew, like my workout crew. Yeah. And and they didn't really know what I did or anything. And then this woman came up and she was like. <gasps> are you Carly Nimmo? And I was like, yeah. And all the girls were like, what? Why does it? <laughs> so like strange things like that have happened, you know, yeah. or like, um, you know, someone has asked me to like take a photo with them. I find it so awkward. Um, like, oh, I listened to your show. Can we get a photo? And I'm like, okay. Uh, so that, that feels all very weird. And so she's seen some of those things and then she's okay. like, oh, what's my mum special or something yeah you know and it's like oh no I just I'm just doing my own thing you know so she knows that I do stuff with microphones um <laughs> and and that's about it and what does she want to be when she grows up <laughs> she wants to be well she's got a couple of things a makeup artist and a singer yeah. and a dancer and can she sing and dance uh yeah 
Like, she won't, she won't listen to this thing. Tell the truth. If she's six. Yeah, yeah. She well, she she loves you know she loves dance. She's definitely definitely a performer. Okay. Um, and also she has me as a mum, so she's a, she's a bit quirky, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she's very entertaining. She has a very good sense of humour. That's what so, you want. That's definitely yeah. what you want in kids for sure. Yeah. I totally. could speak to you all day. I love this podcast. This is awesome. <laughs> what what I, what I have to do though. Is I've got to wrap it up in a minute, but what I do before I yeah, wrap cool. up all my podcasts is I ask some quick fire questions. Sure. What's your greatest achievement in life? Oh, I was going to say well, that's so funny. I was going to say my daughter. I actually, and it's funny because um, I would say my daughter, but I would also say using my voice, like not being afraid to use my voice, is my other greatest achievement for sure. Who's the person or people who have had the most influence on your career? Oh, probably my dad and my mum. They were like dad worked for himself all his life and he worked like a dog, but he always said to us, do what you love and the money will follow. And he encouraged us to just go our own way all the time. So I would say him. Love it. Favourite food? Chocolate. Favourite song? (laughs) Go your own way, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, what a great song. <laughs> Favourite place in the world? Lennox Head. And what's next for Carly Nimmo? More of the same, I think. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm loving where I find myself now. I'm really running a business that is like honours who I am in the moment. I, there's no planning besides the structure that, is in place to support me to show up and just be me in any given moment. Um, you know, just more opportunities coming my way, more opportunities to collaborate. I recently got funding to run some programs for women on using their voices, you know, just shit like that. More podcasting, more speaking. I'd love to, I spoke last year in the States. I'd love to go back and do more international speaking once the borders open. Um, yeah, more, more, more and more listening to the sound of my own voice. (laughs) Do you know what? I love that answer and the thing is that I would love to collaborate with you on some other stuff because this has been a great conversation and as far as I'm concerned, Carly, you're an awesome human. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Ditto. What an amazing human. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you enjoy the rest of the Podfire podcasts and I really hope that you enjoyed Awesome Humans. Reach out to us on Podfire and all the social media channels as well as BJ Macker uh, to reach out to me personally. Have a great day.